Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. And we are heading down to Texas today with the Regional Director of Marketing and Public Relations at ASM Global, Nina Jackson. Welcome. And what is your day-to-day job? My day-to-day is Director of Marketing and Public Relations for NRG Park in Houston, Texas. Congratulations. So for folks who have not been there, tell us a little bit about that venue. We are a 350-acre sporting and entertainment complex comprised of NRG Stadium, which is home to the Houston Texans of the NFL, as well as the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. We also have the 1.4 million square foot exhibition center, NRG Center, as well as an approximately 8,000 seat arena, which is NRG Arena. And then, of course, the Astrodome is still seated here. Along with that, we have about 26,000 parking spaces. Wow, that is a, uh, that's a lot to keep track of. We're a busy place. Yeah, right. That's that's great. Now, let me just jump right in because one of the big things I, I wanted to ask right away is, you know, the, the rodeo. Yeah. Right. I think this is one of those things for, for people who haven't heard of it, you know, is just just an epic, monstrous event. How do you even wrap your head about it? What what for again, for folks who haven't heard of what you guys do down there, give a little background. But then how are things going in 2020? OK, absolutely. The Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo goes on for. OK, now, again, I'm talking pre-COVID. OK. Yeah, sure. Understood. About 30 days. They have about two weeks of move in and then two weeks of move out. They bring in one point. No, no, no. Two point five million people during this approximately 30-day period of time. Unbelievable. They take over the entire 350-acre complex. Inside of NRG Arena, there are all these animal stalls set up, but there are also cowboy boots, cowboy hats. There's clothing. There's just anything you can imagine. There's also a petting zoo. (laughs) It's just awesome. And the grounds, all the 26,000 parking spaces, that's taken up with a carnival. And then to top it all off, they have what's called Rodeo Houston every night where they have a name artist performing inside of NRG Stadium. And whether that's Luke Bryan or Blake Shelton, literally they cross all genres of music because they'll have a Black Heritage Night. They've had Beyonce, but then they've also had... I mean, these are major artists. Major, major artists. I think that's one of the amazing things is it's almost like you imagine your your normal state fair, but multiply it times 100. Everything's bigger in Texas, right? They have a Go Tejano Day where they break the records, 135,000 people or something. Cardi B was one of the most recent... <laughs> this is a funny story. Cardi B was one of the more recent Black Heritage performers. And the Black Heritage is is more of an older African-American crowd. So it was kind of surprising to me that it would be Cardi B, right? Right, yeah. Y'all are probably familiar with some of Cardi B's lyrics, right? Yes, sure. The Houston Livestock Show 
and rodeo prides itself on being family entertainment. Okay, family entertainment. <laughs> for Cardi, yeah, for Cardi B though, y'all, it's so funny. I'm sure. I think I heard that they had it in her rider. No cussing, you know. And I, we were walking around in the stadium. I don't know, doing something, but there were these pieces of paper taped on the stage that said. No, and then they had the word, no F, no MF, no, you know, like all these cuss words. So funny. I guess all around the stage for her to see. It was like the set list and then all these little notes saying, don't say this. That's right. This is not okay. F-bombs are not okay. (laughs) MFs are not okay. That's great. What is it like marketing? You know, is it something where the city embraces it and it sells itself? Or is this like you were on this marathon running of like, I just, I got to survive this 30-day window? Well, no, because as we're set up, we have, as I mentioned, our two major tenants are the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo and the Houston Texans. Each of those entities have their own staffs. Oh, okay. That's good. The rodeo has their own offices here. So they work 12 months out of the year, just like the Texans. All for that window. Okay. Yeah. And then they focus on that show. During that time, yes, we're here. I work very well with the marketing and communication staff for both entities, for the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo and the Houston Texans. The rodeo's marketing staff, they concentrate on the artists and that event. Sure. And then my responsibilities are just to assist them. Yeah. Especially with media coordination a lot of times. Selfishly for us, during the rodeo and again pre-COVID, we would be here and out using that event to help with our social media. Of course. Because everybody in Houston knows about it. Everybody's interested in it. From a social media content purpose, it's great. Have the young people out there just partaking and increasing our engagement on social media. If you're hearing this commercial right now, it's because Over the Top Marketing targeted you. Right now, they can get your commercial played in front of the right people at the right time on streaming TV. That's right to cord cutters. Over the Top Marketing specializes in buying OTT and connected TV media in the live event industry. Just select your targeting segments, select the geography, and they'll get your commercial played to your potential customers. Don't blanket a campaign when you can target it. Go to OTTLiveEvents.com now to learn more and get a free assessment of your needs. That's OTTLiveEvents.com or call 888-212-8714. With all the different venues and everything, how has 2020 been, uh, <laughs> I don't know, how has 2020 been different, right? We all know how it's been different, but kind of what have you guys been doing down there with all that? You know, it's been very, very interesting. Early on, we were set up as a non-congregate medical shelter. Okay. Okay. And what does that mean? (laughs) Basically, they set up the hospital on the grounds with these tents. The newscast reported the the amount of money that it cost. I can't remember. 16 million, maybe. I think something like that. Each tent had maybe 250 beds in it. But then there was another pressurized tent. And I don't know if pressurized is the right word, but the air quality was in that specific tent, intensive care unit or something like that. Yep. Right. Gotcha. So this massive thing was set up and had health professionals coming in from all over the United States was staffed and we were set and ready to go. I was asked by that command center to assist with the joint information center here. We never saw a patient though, thankfully so. I think that's what we saw happening in a number of cities, right? At least initially because 
there was sort of this initial scare and then I think rightfully so. And we were seeing places like New York get overwhelmed. And so that everyone was setting up these sort of like field hospitals, right? They did one here in Kentucky and Louisville at the old exposition center and basically filled it up and had like a field hospital just in case it blows up like it does in New York, everywhere else. We've got to have the space. And that's actually what it was, but we could not refer to it as a field hospital because I think the paperwork had been submitted for FEMA, I guess, as non-congregate medical shelter. So you had to be very careful in how you referred to it, but that's exactly what it was. So then that went away. Then we've been able to do actually a lot of community things. We've been working with our Gulf Coast Regional Blood Center, and we've had blood drives weekly, every Tuesday. They did kind of rely on us to send out email blasts. And because I'm not sending out email blasts for events right now, I was like, yeah, I can certainly do that. And post it on social media and everything. So every week since June, I think, we've had all these blood drives and they've said that it's helped immensely. That's kind of a feel good kind of thing, you know, just to do an email blast, which seems like it's a small thing, but they are so very appreciative and you just feel like you're helping in some small way. We've also had food drives in our parking lots. The mayor, who normally has a back to school backpack drive in the George R. Brown Convention Center downtown, elected to have that event in one of our parking lots because, again, it's, it's outside, it's outdoor. They just felt it was a better fit. Yeah. More recently, we had the first NFL game, and that was the first one was no fans. Then we've had two games in October, October 4th and October 11th, where we did have fans. And just recently, this past weekend, we had a gym and jewelry show. Okay. And we had a roofers conference. It was called RoofCon. So definitely some events slowly coming back. Slowly coming back. I love that as much as it's sad with, you know, the inactivity at venues all over the country, I do love that so many of them have been able to repurpose to do these blood drives or to be set up as voting centers or to be set up for for food banking and stuff like that. I mean, it's a great way for us to, as an industry, which often we're kind of isolated over here doing these big, exciting events with artists. It's a great way for us to engage in the community, which I think is awesome. And a way to use this space that otherwise is sitting empty. Yeah. And I totally forgot, totally forgot over in NRG arena, it's not only a 8,000 seat arena, but we also have about 150,000 square feet of exhibit space surrounding the arena proper. We are using part of the space as a Harris County jury selection. We're a Harris County owned complex, by the way. Okay. So part of the space is being used for jury selection. Interesting. And we've actually set up and had jury trials. Also, we are set up as an early voting location. We are a drive through voting location. We are a ballot drop-off location. We will be a 24-hour voting location. Wow. And then we're also election headquarters for Harris County. Wow. Wow. I know. That is so cool. There's 24 hour voting too. I know. Because I think often what you hear about is people struggling around their day jobs or whatever. Right. So that's amazing. Yeah. It's a lot, you know, obviously going on, which is, which is great. Congratulations on having anything going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, some of us are just looking for anything to keep us busy. I know. How do you present yourself to the public? Does the public see you as kind of like one big place or do they see it as a district? What is the public perception for those folks in the market? We market it as one place, as NRG Park. 
are. Okay. I think that's the perception of the market. We have to be very clear when our local reporters are reporting that NRG Park is the voting location. Well, the teasers, like, not only are sports played here, you know, but yeah. you can also vote. Football is happening in the stadium. Voting is not in the stadium. Right, sure. Voting is in the arena. So it's, it's getting them to make that distinction. Please don't be unclear because that's the last thing we need is all these people heading over to the stadium to try to vote, right? Right. <laughs> right. They're going for the more exciting story. The sizzle of it. Sell the sizzle. After we had torn down the non-congregate medical shelter, at a later point when our numbers were rising a little, they came and put the supplies in some of the exhibit space in NRG Arena. The CBS Evening News wanted to come out and do a stand-up in front of that, really just kind of talking about the numbers going up and how we would be set up if needed rather quickly. The uh, reporter came out, and so I said, okay, you need to be very clear that this is NRG Arena, because she kept talking about the stadium and football being played. No, no. No. (laughs) Look behind you. (laughs) This is where it will be. Not that building over there. Not that one, this one. (laughs) Yeah, see, not that big building. That's where football is. They were trying to get that in the shot. Please don't, no. Don't do that, (laughs) because it's here. This is it. It sounds like a reoccurring theme. I think every venue struggles with some of these things that always bubble up and we're always every single time there's some news story always making these little course corrections Uh, uh, no well no you know i know one of the pet peeves on rup arena where i used to work was people would always call it the rup arena which is such a small thing but it would always get under our skin Uh, it's not the rup arena it's Rup Arena, it's just Rup Arena. And it would happen all the time. Artists would do it. I think it's funny that we always have these little things we're constantly as marketing people. Same thing for us. Ours is, they like to cut it off and just say NRG, just NRG. Okay, can you not do that? Because that's actually the energy company. If you could say either NRG Park, NRG Arena, whatever you're actually talking about, whether it's the entire complex or a specific venue, if you could just leave the second part of the name on there, (laughs) we'd be perfect. And then, of course, you get the TV spot 30 minutes after it's supposed to have started. Yeah. And it's said the wrong way in the TV spot, and you just, do I I correct this, or do I just let it roll? Just go with it. These compromises, I look forward to the day when these are our biggest challenges again. Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. So true. I know. Nina, you know, obviously we talked about 2020 being a, a year of, you know, kind of reinvention and, and survival for us, but no place bigger than than Houston on that radar because it seems like, uh, and tell me what you guys have done wrong down there. It seems like every couple of weeks in the news, I'm seeing some kind of big storm heading towards Houston, something going on. It has been a rough go. How are you guys holding up down there? I know. It has been. It's like, oh my gosh, prepare for it, prepare for it, prepare for it. But then thankfully so, and I'm Catholic and I'm making the sign of the cross right now that it didn't hit. What was it, Laura, that was about to hit? There were so many. First, I thought, oh, you know, mm, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. But then the more I listened, the more I thought, do I need to try to find a generator? (laughs) Maybe I do. So I did. I went out and searched high and low and got this big generator to only not need it. But it's good that you have it, though, right? But I have it now. Because it feels like there have been a lot of floods and storms and stuff. So what is that like from a marketer's side? You know, because obviously I think it's coming. Yes. It could be coming. So any events that are coming, yes. you kind of put because, well, I'm not going to hold off on buying tickets yet for that. Yes. But then sometimes it's serious. And a lot of times it's not. You know, even just as a person, but as a marketer, that's got to affect day-to-day life down there. Because we were doing voting, they would shut down some of that. We did reschedule a couple of the 
the blood drives. Yep. Didn't want people out. There was flooding trying to get here to do that. So we do have to make adjustments sometimes to, to events, yep. try to wait and make those decisions at the last possible moment. Then in that situation, if we reschedule those blood drives to not have the flooding, but we were able to accommodate because it is a season of not very much event activity. It was not that hard to reschedule them. So that was a good thing. I'm guessing pre-COVID, you just kind of have to watch it carefully, right? So you right. probably do have not quite the schedule flexibility you would have now. So you're just kind of seeing, is it going to escalate enough where we need to take action to schedule this? Or what's it going to look like? The only time the decision was made to postpone the show, and I guess really came down to the last minute, was Coldplay. And that was a stadium show. Stadium tours, it's not like, oh yeah, yeah, we'll just swing back by. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a problem. Storm's coming. Oh yeah, no problem. Fine. Yeah, oh yeah. Things happen, right? Martin packs a lot of confetti, so you got to make plans for all that stuff. Yes, yes. We talked a little bit about, you know, where things are at today, and, and I do have some more questions about where things are there, but but let's step back for a minute. Let's, let's step way back. Let's go back to Nina Jackson, 17 years old. Where are you at? And at that time, you know, when you're just getting ready to head in to, you know, college, maybe I think it was Sam Houston, right? Yeah, that's right. Eat them up cats. So yeah, we, we creep. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> tell us, you know, kind of where your life was kind of where you thought your life was headed and how you ended up where you where you ended up. Oh my gosh. How long is this podcast? <laughs> I started at Sam Houston State University and I got my degree in accounting. I have a BBA in accounting. So started out in oil and gas accounting. I was at Pennzoil and there was going to be a layoff. You're doing accounting at Pennzoil. Accounting at Pennzoil, yes. Gas revenue accounting. They said that the layoff would not affect our department, wouldn't be laid off. But I started thinking, well, wow, this oil and gas industry, is it going to be like this? You know, like a roller coaster where you might get laid off, you might not. So I just thought, you know what, I've been there two years. I thought, let me just start kind of looking around and see what's out there. I answered a small ad, not really thinking I'd leave, but just exploring options. I answered a, a very small ad in the newspaper. And I don't even really know what made me respond to it, to be honest. But I did. I think I was just doing a mass resume send out at that time. It said, send resume to VP AOC. Turns out that stood for a win operating company. And it was an interview at the summit. Now, a lot of people, especially young people, won't know what the summit is in Houston, Texas. It was the former home to the Houston Rockets. It became Compact Center and is now Lakewood Church. I got the accounting manager's job at the summit. Stayed there from 86 to 91, I think. Mike McGee was the general manager there. Alan Freeman was the assistant general manager. Mike started LMI, Leisure Management International. And what was that? Say it again. Well, and what was, the, what was LMI? LMI was a public assembly facility management company. Okay. So that meant we managed arenas, convention centers, theater stadiums across the United States. I left the job at the summit to then go be corporate controller for LMI. In 91, there was an ownership change. Accounting was going to switch over to Centera Development. They called me in and said, this is what's getting ready to happen. Finance is going to go over to Centera because they have 16 people to, to manage it. But we want to keep you on. We think you'd be good in business development. Well, at the time, I had no idea what business development was. My thinking process was job, no job. Right, sure. <laughs> ability to pay bills, no ability to pay bills. Right, right. That's relatable. That's relatable right now. My response was, oh my, oh my God, this is so weird that this is happening. This is the exact path I wanted to travel down. Yes, why, of course I want to do this. So I went into business development. I later found out what the role was. 
Are you going to try to set meetings with these city council members or members of this board in whatever city it happened to be in? And then the preference was rather than just a day-to-day office meeting. Now, again, different times. I mean, we're talking a while back. The preference was to set a meeting for a meal, maybe breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or maybe a happy hour, meet for a drink after work that led to dinner. That was like the best scenario. (laughs) Oh, oh, really? Okay. All right. I'll I'll try to do that. You know, maybe we're meeting somebody for a drink after work and I'm thinking, okay, this is still work hours, right? It it is okay. It is okay for me to, to have a beverage. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yes. Then this leads to dinner and we're going to like the five-star restaurants. I'm looking around to see what my cohort from LMI is awarding first so I can see the price range we're staying in and <laughs> he's getting like a the, the surf and turf, the filet and the lobster tail. And I'm thinking, well, I may have that as well. That, that doesn't sound too bad, right? Yeah. Will there be a payroll deduction from my check for this? <laughs> now, Nina, would you like red wine with your steak? Is that okay? Is that is that not frowned upon in this establishment? Why, yes. If that is allowable, why, yes, I would like that. <laughs> and the thought was... There is a God and he has heard me. (laughs) The heavens were opening up. (laughs) Started doing this and then we were working on a project in the city and came down to at some point saying, okay, so Nina, is this person going to vote for us? And it was like, well, gee, how how would I know that? That would be kind of awkward. That would be awkward if I asked him that. You know, that would ruin our friendship. I can tell you about her husband, that her mother just passed away, about her husband's car dealership, about the kids. They're like, no, this is the point. You know, here's the point. And I was like, dang it, I knew there was a catch to this. I then found out that, of course, that role was going to cities or counties or municipalities that had public assembly facilities, such as arenas, convention centers, theaters, stadiums, what have you. And maybe these facilities were municipally managed, or if they were getting ready to build them, they would be municipally managed. And the role was to convince the decision makers that contract management was the way to go and that LMI was the company to do it for them. I also realized that my technique was not hard sales. It was more building a relationship, building a relationship because I felt then and I still feel now as long as you are qualified and as long as you can do the job, then I believe that people vote for people they have a relationship with. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. In that role, I was able to help get the contract out here for the then named Astro Domain Complex. So LMI was awarded that contract in January of 2000. In March of 2000, SMG, another public assembly facility management company, bought LMI. They offered me a position to stay in business development, but I would have to move to the suburb of Philadelphia. And I always have trouble saying where SMG was located. Conshohocken, I would have to move there. I think you got it. So the option was either stay in business development and move up there, or they offered me the marketing manager position at the then Astrodomain Complex. I said, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll take that. Again, (laughs) another scenario where, yeah, I had not done marketing at a venue. I had done accounting at a venue, but I had not done marketing at a venue. But I said, yes, well, why, yes, that is what I want. I want to do that. (laughs) At that point, the summit was now called Compact Center. When I was there doing accounting, Sydney Greenblatt was over marketing at the summit, and she still was at Compact Center. So I called Sydney up and I'm like, hey, Sid, (laughs) 
I just accept the marketing manager's position at Astronomy Complex. So if you are agreeable, I'd like to come over for two days and just shadow you with pen and paper. You tell me everything I need to know in those two days. She's like, yeah, you know, come on. So that's what I did. Wow, here we go. Give me the crash course. That's exactly right. I got a crash course and started out with my trusty pad that I had all these notes on. And a will to do it. And I tell young people all the time, what I've learned is you never be afraid of an opportunity because A, there's always people to help you. And someone was doing the job before you. From being the marketing manager, we also had a PR manager under the director of sales and marketing. There was a PR manager. Well, that PR manager left. So then those duties just kind of got piled on. You know how that goes. So I became the marketing and PR manager. And then I noticed that the directors would always focus on sales. They would just, you know, say, hey, Nina, you got the marketing and PR side. You, You got that. After two of the directors leaving, I thought, well, hey, wait a minute. If I am gonna then handle it, why not separate and have a director of sales and a director of marketing and PR? I went to my AGM to see if he would support that decision, support me in that with SMG, with everybody. And he was supportive. He was supportive. So I met with my then general manager and proposed the idea. Then I became the director of marketing and PR. And then from that became a regional director of marketing PR for SMG. And then once the AEG facilities and the SMG merger sale, whatever happened, then now I'm a regional director of marketing PR for ASM Global. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) Quite the adventure. And you know, you talk about when you discovered early on about the importance of building relationships and how that was, you know, something you really enjoyed and, and you saw that that was what your specialty was. So I think one of the important things about what you're doing now is having that relationship between that building and the community. Yes. Right? Yeah. So tell me about as you know, you're there in Houston, how you're connecting and kind of that relationship that the venues have with the community. Sometimes the higher ups in organizations, whether it's the NFL team, maybe they don't play as well together. My cohorts with those entities, we always gotten along well. And that's just a main point for me. So that when we're doing things with the community or if I can make a connection that somehow helps community organization. I can then put them in touch with somebody with the Texans or somebody with the rodeo if they're looking for an auction item or if they're looking for this or that. It's also being connected and informing those relationships with the convention bureau. You know, with the greater, it was called the Greater Houston Convention and Visitors Bureau, but it's now called Houston First. The person that is their chief marketing officer now, I think, you know, she and I are really good friends. And being involved in your local organization. I'm a part of the Houston chapter of the American Marketing Association. Or I'm also on the board of WISE, Women in Sports. And that has really become beneficial because not only now do I know, of course, I already knew the head marketing person for the Texans, but then now, you know, also know and have good relationships with higher ups with the Rockets and with the Astros and with the Dynamo and the Dash and the person that does marketing for Methodist Hospital being on that board. Tomorrow morning, we're going to have coffee with colleagues. We started out having these wind down Wednesdays. But you're going to do so many of those virtual happy hours. Yes, right. I was still one to say, but really? 
can you have too many? (laughs) So then we move to having coffee with colleagues. It's just staying connected. Social media is a big part of that too for the community, finding ways to engage our followers, especially during these times. We've been able to promote the blood drive consistently and maybe more so than we would have been able to do if we had a lot of events going on or promoting the food drive. It definitely seems like you have among many strengths, but two main strengths that I'm just seeing woven throughout your story is, you know, one, obviously you're never afraid to take a risk if it means changing departments. And I think you're willing to go with the flow, which is really amazing. And some people are not as willing to do that. But as you said, oh, okay, uh, why not? Let's try marketing and we'll figure it out. And I can lean on these people. Yes. And I think one of the things that really helps that is your other huge strength, your ability to build relationships and just to be so warm with people. You know, I've known you for maybe 10 years now and just immediately when you meet people, you can tell that you have that skill of building relationships because you just have such this warm personality And so I think that's where when you do take these risks, it's not as scary because you know, I have this connection over here I can call or I have this person I can go shadow for two days. So I think the one really leads the other. You know, I I genuinely like people. I just, I genuinely like people. Those I know and and those I, I don't know too. I just, I love people. I love interacting with people. Oh, you nailed it with the word warmth because Nina, you do just generate this positive energy. Is that just something that's come natural for you just your whole life? You know, it's so hard for me to like, they did a study where it's easier to find faults within yourself, right? So it's hard for me to... Yeah, sure. But I will say that, yes, I've always been, I guess what you call silly. Like I love to laugh. I've always loved to find the humor in everything. Just one story that kind of depicts that. My dad passed away in 2007. I'm an only child. My mom and I left the hospital. It was like three or four in the morning, I think. We left the hospital and drove into a gas. I didn't have any gas. It was one of those times where I should have gotten gas before when it was on half a tank probably, but I didn't. So we pulled into a gas station. It was like all barred up, like you couldn't even get gas. So I turned and looked at my mother and I said, it sucks to be us right now. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a, a minute of brevity. You got to find those moments where you can. So I've always liked to laugh. I guess the answer to that question is yes. Being a, a Texan, for those of us who are, are not from Texas, what, what do you what do you love about Texas? The friendliness of the people, people being willing to help one another. I gotta say the food. Oh my God, I think we have the best and such a diversity of food because we have such diverse city here. Sure. Uh, I think we're one of the most diverse cities in the country. I mean, I think we have, I can't remember those CVB statistics, but like 92 consulates or something like that, some crazy number like that. The food, the diversity of the food and the friendliness of the people. Yeah, I will co-sign on the food because my sister used to live there for many years. And not only, of course, do they have amazing Tex-Mex, which... I shared numerous meals of that with you, Nina. That's right. They also have kolaches and all these really amazing cultural restaurants. Some of them are just these hole-in-the-wall places that are so good. Yes, Indian, falafel, Peruvian, and just everything. One of the things, Nina, I'm glad you brought up was the, you know, the cultural diversity, because I think the the stereotype of Texan is an old uh, white cowboy who's set in his ways. You know, you talk about Black Heritage. Isn't it Selena who performed at the Astrodome? Wasn't that 
Yes, yes, that's right. Talk a little bit about some of the cultural diversity there and kind of, you know, uh, some of the, the challenges and kind of how you guys handle that from a marketing perspective. Any topic you bring up, you see what I mean, Dave and Paula? Everything you bring up, I can relate to personally. Yeah, sure. Okay, first, let me just tell you this funny story because... <laughs> I think illustrates a lot of different things, stereotypes being one of it. When I was at LMI and I was new in business development, they hired a seasoned person in business development. His name was Justin White. Now, Justin is an older white guy. He had white hair, parted down the side, slipped down. What I knew about Justin was he used to own a Coors beer distributorship. And then when I looked at Justin, I just thought, I don't think he's going to like me. He seemed like a bubba. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I went home and I was telling my husband, you know, they hired somebody and and he said, he said these words, what does that mean for you? My ears heard that as, oh my God, he's asking about my feelings. He is asking how I feel about this situation. So I thought, oh yes, we don't have communication issues. Oh my God. Again, (laughs) yes, there's a God and he's heard me. talk about my feelings about this. Like, I'm not sure he's going to like me. I think he may be a redneck. I mean, and I don't know how far I got into it, but it was a short while. His brow furrowed. He was heading out the back door to feed the dog or do something or put water out or bring the dog in. I don't know what, but his brow furrowed. He turned to me and said, no, no. Will you still have a job? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'll still have a job. What does that have to do with anything? (laughs) As it turns out, Justin is, uh, oh my gosh, I'm going to, I'll tear up. But he is one of the sweetest guys. He, after the sale of LMI, he also came to Energy Park in a sales role as a like executive sales manager, I think. Justin's in his 70s now and still he's just one of the sweetest guys. Literally, we're like part of each other's families. I would make jokes even when we were in business development. I remember one time there was a reservation at one of the restaurants and I think I was the only female and I was sort of the only African-American part of the party. And so the lady said, white party of six. (laughs) So I walked up and I said, actually, it's white party of five and one black. (laughs) (laughs) And I I say those things just to amuse myself because I laughed very heartily at that. Justin's brother recently passed away. It said that, you know, they weren't having family members. It was going to be a private ceremony. They changed the date because of the storm, actually. He texted me the change and I said, well, okay, but it said family only. He's like, well, no, you know, that'll mean you. Oh, okay. That's great. So I went and his family was there and I tried to make light of it. And I was like, y'all knew, y'all know I'm the black sheep of the family. Y'all knew I was going to show up. <laughs> so then you've seen, you know, the positive side of some of the racial differences there. And, and so especially Hispanic makes up a good percentage yes. of the population, mm-hmm. right? When you're marketing, are you doing a lot of multicultural marketing? Do you have somebody on your team who's really kind of an expert at that? Or have you learned just enough to get through it? It's just worked out that occasionally I've had a diverse kind of group. Right now, I have a Hispanic female on my team. And with all the signage that we're having to do now, and we have a Hispanic female as the head of the third most populous county in the United States. You see a difference now. So when she has press conferences, they are done in English and in Spanish. I've been tasked with creating signage for the complex, right? Some of the signage we did, especially there's an assumption of risk that we've created. We created that in English and yes, we created it in Spanish. And Alexis on my team, she doesn't speak Spanish, but her dad does. He's been able to translate some signs for us, like the assumption of risk and a couple of others. And then Alexis came to me from San Antonio a week before we shut down. (laughs) And she had been at the TV station in San Antonio. So I asked her, I said, I know you don't translate Spanish, but like if it's written already, 
can you read a script or whatever? She said, yeah, that she could do that. So she is now our voice. She's done the voiceovers for our recordings that are now playing in the lobby, both in English and in Spanish. And, oh, wow. and she's done a really good job of it. We did some signage, but we just submitted our reopening plan to the city and got some comments. But when we submitted it to the county, they want all of our signage to be both English and Spanish. So for instance, we did not do the health and safety reminders in Spanish because it has the icon. But yeah, they're saying no. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be in English and Spanish. Challenge we come up with, but the ways that we all use our magic duct tape and magic wands to, to yeah. find a way to make it work. And Yeah, absolutely. And now I could kick myself because as a person of color and also being that marketing professional, seeing her press conferences and seeing how she does things, I feel that I let the team down in not saying, hey guys, we're running this by the county. I'm pretty sure they're going to want everything in both English and Spanish. So I think that I kind of let the team down in that way. Nobody said it, but you know, they're probably giving me a little side eye. But we are our biggest critics, right? Right. Yeah. I think I expected it of myself. No one expected it of me, but looking back on it, I should have known that. You know, we always look back, you know, and think about, well, I should have, could have, would have. Yeah. You're hearing this commercial, it's because Over the Top Marketing targeted you. Right now, they can get your commercial laid in front of the right people at the right time on streaming TV. That's right to cord cutters. Over the Top Marketing specializes in buying OTT and connected TV media in the live event industry. Just select your targeted segments, select the geography, and they'll get your commercial played to your potential customers. Don't blanket a campaign when you can target it. Go to OTTLiveEvents.com now to learn more and get a free Free assessment of your needs. That's OTTLiveEvents.com or call 888-212-8714. As you know, somebody who's been through the 80s, the 90s, and, and today, talk to that person who's starting their career here in this era. Maybe it's a young female or even a young female person of color. What advice would you give to them or even what advice would you have given to yourself all those years ago to kind of help find that path to lead you to success? I'm really conflicted because now I, I say, well, you know, is that the right advice? Because what I would have said to my younger self is, especially in this industry, don't take things personally. To another story, you know, i got tons of them. I love them. I love them. Back when I was at the summit, again, male-dominated industry, more so then sure. than now even. Yeah. Sitting there, and again, it's Mike McGee, it's Russ Simons, it's, you know, all these people. Well, around lunchtime, they would meet in the middle area right there. My office was right there, like looking at them. And they're like, hey, where are we going to go lunch today? You know, or oh, let's go here. Or let's, you know, whatever. And one day I think I was talking to Russ and I was like, you know, y'all are so rude. You know, you just stand there and you're talking about where you're going to go to lunch and you never invite me to go. And he's like, invite you to go. If we're going somewhere you want to go, just come and go. Light bulb, you know? Yes. I think the difference in kind of the way men think and the way women think. So from that point on, if I heard them talking about a place, I would yell out, I'm grabbing my purse, I'm coming. <laughs> right, that's it. Then it became, if y'all don't want me to tag along, then y'all better try to whisper somewhere else or I don't know, send smoke signals to each other or something. I don't know what y'all gonna do, but if, if I hear about it, I'm grabbing my purse and I am coming. I've always been taught crying, especially for a female, crying at the office is just a no-no. You know, just shouldn't do it, should not do it. Well, I'm a crier. I experience emotion, whether it's happiness, sadness, and if it's an extreme emotion, tears are coming. Whether it's extreme happiness, sadness, anger, 
whatever it is, the tears come. So now at 58, I can't stop it. You know, I, I <laughs> and when I would try to tell myself, don't you cry, don't you cry, don't you cry, that just made it worse. <laughs> and so I'd have to tell people, please do not look at me. Do not look at me with sad eyes like, oh, what's wrong with Nina? Because again, the waterfall will continue. I was having a problem with a previous general manager. It seemed like whenever I would go to him with something, I just wasn't connecting with him. It just seemed like it was never right. So one day I walked into his office, I closed the door and he was younger than I am. I was in my fifties. It was, it's a while back, but, but it was here and he was younger. And I'm, I'm going to say the race just because I feel like it's important to the story. He was white, white male. I walked into his office. I closed the door and I started to cry. I heard, and the minute I hear a, can I talk to you for a minute? I, that little, yeah, then yeah. it's coming. So I told him, I said, if you will get that box of Kleenex that I knew he had in the drawer, if you'll pull that out. And if you'll just let me get through this one conversation and it's going like this, <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> then we will never have to have this conversation again. What I said to him was, I feel like whenever I come to you with something that let's say I come to you and say, what do you think about this black piece of paper? you'll say, oh, that's definitely a white piece of paper. It's a white piece of paper. Someone else will come in and say, oh, that's an awfully nice black piece of paper. Then you go, yes, it is, isn't it? That's the way I feel. And, yeah. and, and I don't know if it's because you don't like my work product. He said, no, Nina, you do a great job. I don't know if it's you don't like my personality. I am one that likes to be friends with my coworkers, but I realized that it doesn't have to be that way. And so if that's the case, if you don't like my personality, then at least I know what the problem is, you know? And he's like, no, no, Nina, you're one of the sweetest people that I know. And I, I don't know if I said this, but I was thinking, I, I may have even said it because the door was closed. I don't know if it's that I'm black and maybe you don't like black people. If I know you don't like me, you don't like black people for whatever reason, then that's fine. I know that now. I don't go to you. I send somebody else to you. He said, absolutely not. Nina, don't take it personally. It's not you. It is me. It's just the way I am. Nothing is ever right for me at first. And so from that point on, that's what I took from that. I never took it personally. From that point on, when I went to him with a press release, I went with the red pen, whatever it was. Here, you, Here's the release. Here you go. <laughs> because when it did come to something of a personal interest, my daughter played basketball for the University of Colorado in Boulder. There was a situation where there was like some kind of snowstorm and Bianca is an only child. She couldn't come home for Christmas. And oh my gosh, you know, I was terribly upset. And he happened to walk by my office and I was crying. And he's like, oh my, oh my gosh, you know, people are used to me by this point. What's happened? Did a pencil fall off your desk? What happened? And so when I told him, he's like, well, why don't you call out to our, our Continental, which was the airlines before United, call out to them and see if there's something that they could do. And I said, no, I've tried that already. He said, okay, reach out to our limousine service and see what kind of connections they have that could help her get home. And he said, Nina, I'll pay for it. And so see, that showed me right there when it came to something of personal interest for me that he did care. And, and so I would always tell people, because people always thought he was just such a, a jerk. I was going to use a different word, but then I thought, oh, wait, this is a podcast and maybe I can't use that kind of word on here. <laughs> you can say whatever you need to say. <laughs> Asshole was what I thought. You know? <laughs> and I would always tell my story and say, I don't think that's it. I don't think that's, that's it at all. And so it's, again, just getting to know people. And now, though, because of the whole Black Lives Matter... And I have to say that, uh, I don't want to tear up again, because I don't know that, you know, there's such a thing as white privilege, which we've heard of. Sure. There's also a thing, light skin privilege, where I think that I probably have been 
more accepted than maybe my darker skinned brothers and sisters. My hair is not as textured as theirs. So if I'm giving advice as to it's just, it's, it's a little more difficult for me now, to be honest. Yeah, sure. Because I am slightly conflicted. I told this in one of our WISE events where we had a speaker and it was about the diversity and, and kind of the climate that we're in with that right now. Whereas I probably have not experienced as much as others. My daughter, who has a little more color to her skin, she was called the N-word. She was working in Pittsburgh as a assistant women's basketball coach and was at a gas station and she was called the N-word. And when she told me about it, my heart just broke Yeah, because that's never happened to me. And then for it to happen, uh, I don't want to start crying, for it to happen to your child. That's a whole different story. Exactly. Yeah. But you know what, Nina, the, the message that I hear from you, it's kind of the through story and all of those is strength, right? And it's the strength to assert yourself and join that lunch group. It's the strength to say, I'm going to cry and it's okay that I'm going to cry and we're going to get through this meeting together. Yeah. And it's the strength to be there as a mother for your daughter or, you know, whatever your role is, but I hear it's finding your strength. And I think you should be very proud that you've been able to do that. We mentioned your daughter. So let's talk about your family for a minute. Let's switch it up a little bit and, and let give you a minute to brag about your family. Okay. So give me your family story right now. Okay. My husband played for the 49ers for a while. Really? And he still holds the NCAA record for most interceptions, run back for touchdowns. And he played college ball for U of H. So it was the U of H game against Texas. That's amazing. I had no idea. I know, right? I know. Okay, so you know how they say opposites attract? He would never tell that. If you didn't already know, he would never tell that ever, ever, ever. And he has a Super Bowl ring. Yeah, because he played in a Super Bowl with Joe Montana. What? I know, right? Wow. I know. So how long have you been married? We have been married for 20, we've been married in 94, 26, 26 years. Wow. <laughs> 26 years. Had to calculate it. <laughs> Currently, he is dean of students at one of the high schools here in Houston. Okay. Mm-hmm. Boy, so another very fluid job right now too, right? Yes. Yes. Students just came back actually for the first time in, at the beginning of the week. And then your daughter? My daughter, Johnny is Bianca's stepdad, but he's filled the role of real dad. So, because I said sure. he's my second marriage, whatever. But Bianca has always excelled at basketball. Now, I was not the sports person. Going through school, I was the, if I didn't have an A in a class, I was trying to meet and figure out why. What can I do for extra credit? So, academics, and then I was also in drill team for two or three years, and then I was a cheerleader my last year in high school. That was me, right? Well, Bianca, on the other hand, it's been basketball first and academic second. If she got a C, you know, she's like, yes. Oh, my God. How can mediocrity be okay? Where have I failed? Where have I failed? So I was always on her, always on her. But she got a basketball scholarship to the University of Colorado. It's so funny. I made friends with the head coach there at Colorado, actually on the home visit, just connected. She's a small framed white female. Bianca's first year up there. Again, Bianca's the only child. When she decided to go there, I said, okay, it's not a car drive away for us. So you're deciding that you want to go this far away. It's going to be difficult to get to you. Something happens. I mean, it's not like an every weekend thing, you know? Right. So she flew down there. We drove her stuff up there on a weekend. And, you know, of course, I'm crying, you know, coming back. (laughs) Surprising, right? Now, after me talking, you're surprised by that. But she was fine. I will say that, too, for kids going off to college. You know, when you're going into almost a sorority, even if it's athletics, you're going into a a possible 
friend group already. So I think it helps out because Bianca was fine. She would call and say, oh, hey, did you see us play Nebraska? We won. We stormed the field. And hey, put your TV on ESPN because we're at the men's basketball game and I'm going to wave at you. And I felt like socialization, that's part of college life. Okay, great. You have that down. Only child, you know, you're so far away. Great. So what about the grades though? Oh, A's and B's. A's and B's. That's what I got from her. Coach Miller called me, grades had come out. Now, she wasn't supposed to because Bianca's what? She's in college now, 17, 18, whatever how old she was. She's like, Nina, I think you need to know this. Bianca had a 1.7 GPA. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Doesn't sit well with mama. Nope. <laughs> so I flew down there unannounced. Oh. oh, no. Bianca actually had broken her hand, fractured her hand in practice. Now, it was a telling sign, too, because I said, oh, my God, you know, I need to fly down there. She's like, no, no, she was having surgery the next day. No, no, Mom, it's okay. The trainer's going with me. It's okay. You don't need to come. Only child having surgery. Okay. So yeah. So, so I called Kathy and I said, hey, I'm flying down there. You know, I'm not telling Bianca. She said, great, Yenny, because I think we need to sit down and talk about this. I said, okay, great. Yeah. Kathy, I just want you to know, because Kathy was used to the professional NRD parking Nina Jackson, you know, that, yeah. that director of marketing <laughs> and PR Nina Jackson. Yeah. The one where you're like, you know, is she black? What is she? <laughs> <laughs> I said, Kathy, <laughs> I don't really know what I'll say. I don't know what I'll do, but I need you to just go along with it while we're meeting. She's like, oh, yeah, girl, I'm going to let you handle it. I'm going to let you handle it. I said, okay, perfect. I get to the outside of the dorm, and you have to be buzzed. You know, so I, I called Bianca. I said, yeah, hey, I'm outside of the dorm door. She's like, what? Yeah, outside the dorm door. Come on down here and, and let the big bad wolf in. She probably knows at that point, oh, no, I stepped in it bad. Yeah, exactly. She was with one of her teammates. She told me later, Susie. Susie, run. Run, Susie, save yourself. <laughs> she said, Susie said, oh, is that your mom? I'd like to meet her. Bianca was like, not right now. Not right, not right, now. <laughs> <laughs> not right now. Run for your life. So we go to meet with Coach Miller. And it was when Colorado was part of the Big 12 Conference. Oh, my gosh. Kathy's office was beautiful. These beautiful glass doors. And well, so we sit down at this conference table. Kathy had on, you know, a Nike suit. And she has her Blackberry at the time. And she's texting. And she puts her feet up, you know, in a chair. And she's relaxed. So I start to talk. And the whole point of the conversation is there are consequences to actions, is what my point is. I just want us all to be on the same page here. Bianca, four or five years, that's not guaranteed. The scholarship is yearly. You don't uphold your part of the bargain and then you'll be coming home. And they provide you with tutors and whatever you need. And, oh, how can we help you? Colorado has resources. We're not talking a D3 school that has no resources. We're talking Big 12 conference school. Do you know how many high school athletes there are in Houston that would kill to be in your position? I don't know what you're doing, but if you continue on this path, you will come home. I'm going to explain to you how things will go. Right. I will give you six months to find a job on your own. If you don't find one, then I will get you one with the cleaning company, with Aramark Facility Services here at NRG Park. And I'll specifically request that all you do is clean toilets. Mom, breaking bad. Yeah. So whatever you're doing, do you. That's the wake up call, though, right? That's your opportunity. Bianca started to get defensive or make excuses. Both of those push my buttons. Because you know why we're here. You did whatever it is to own it. She's making excuses, getting defensive. So before I knew it, I said, let me scoot my chair back before I reach out and knock the shit out of you. 
<laughs> when I said that out of my peripheral vision, I saw Coach Miller take her feet out of the chair, put that Blackberry down, sit up straight. Oh boy, that caught her attention. <laughs> Later on, I told her, I said, I know you were trying to make eye contact with your administrative assistant to say, call the campus popo. She's cray cray. <laughs> she is black. She is. She is. And she's crazy. And I don't know what she's going to do. I'm afraid of her. Later, she said, you know, I think you put the fear of God in her. I said, do you think? And she said, yeah, you scared me. (laughs) (laughs) Bianca did, at the end of whatever grading period, whatever, she got the award for most improved athlete academically. Awesome. Then the following year, she got right back on that thin ice. And Kathy called me and I had to say, Bianca, what is it? What is going on? Her answer is, I don't know. I don't know. So that time she came on, my drug tested her. Difficult, but I don't know. You got a Bob Marley poster on your wall. I mean, I'm not crazy. <laughs> she passed. She did graduate. She got there. Yeah. So she played basketball overseas for a while in Lithuania. That's a longer drive. Yeah. And people were like, Are you going to visit her? No, I am not. I have no <laughs> desire to go to Lithuania. <laughs> so she came back here and she was at Rice University here in Texas for a while in Houston as video coordinator, I think. Okay. Yeah. She then went to Pitt. Kathy was at Pitt. And so she became double director of basketball operations. And then from Pitt, she went on to be an assistant coach at Loyola in Chicago. Okay. And then during the pandemic, she and her dog drove down here. While she was here, a friend of hers had become the head coach at Lamar in Beaumont. She was third assistant at Loyola. Aqua reached out to her and offered Bianca the associate head coaching position at Lamar. That's awesome. So she accepted that. Yeah. And so now she's closer to home. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really cool too, how there does seem to be this And I'm sure it's very competitive as with any industry, but you do hear about people starting as video coordinators and then they'll start at D3 school and they might move to D2 and D1. And there's so many interesting opportunities for lateral growth where you move slowly up at different levels, different schools, different positions at those schools. So it's always really cool to see people grow in those roles. Yeah. So it sounds like you raised a strong woman. Once you got out of the grades part of it, hopefully she can use some of your techniques to motivate her team. so funny because now she is the academic liaison and she was just telling me one of the female athletes was sitting across from her. This girl has in math, I don't even know what the grade is in math. I mean, something really crazy low like a 0.5. I mean, something bad, bad. And Bianca's like, and I log in, she doesn't remember, I get all the passwords at the beginning of the semester. And so I'm looking and there are all these zeros. And so she's asking her, so what, you didn't turn in the assignments? She's like, no, I turned it in. And she's sitting there lying to my face. And I said, yeah, I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly (laughs) how you feel. Paybacks are something, aren't they? Oh, you're right. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's funny how karma comes back pretty quick. The heavens opening up for me. Speaking of heavens opening up, heavens opening up on this business anytime soon for Texas. What do you see as kind of the path forward from here? Um, Solve it for us, Nina. I know. Yeah, please. I know, right? (laughs) We're just looking for that path. Can you (laughs) shine a light? It's funny. So we have a Republican governor, but we have a Democratic mayor and county judge. So it seems like with everything these days, things become so political. Right. The governor wants to open up. Our local authorities, though, are more like, no, we're still considered red. On the color scheme of things, red being the worst. Yep. As I mentioned, we are starting to have some event activities, so I'm hopeful right now. 
What's funny is that, for instance, in Arlington, Texas, which is right outside of Dallas, it's obviously more lax. They're local leaders, I guess. Sure. We're supposed to have Disney on Ice in December. But Disney on Ice has already played there. I mean, they've already had fans because the Cowboy Stadium is there. Failed, I think, is reaching out to us saying, hey, well, no, that's Texas too. I mean, what's the problem with you guys? Because we're having to go through a few more hoops. Yep. We're having to do these event consent forms. And while some venues like Toyota Center and Minute Maid Park, where the Astros play, they're city-owned facilities downtown. So they're basically just going through city officials. We're a county-owned complex. So we have to go to city and to county, try to get approvals. It's been quite the laborious effort to try to get approvals because everybody's like, well, yeah, no, you know, pointing in different directions. Yep. No, it's not really us, that this group or, or, you know. We're going through that exact same thing. And I think from a liability standpoint, I think that's why nobody wants to sign on the line saying they've approved it. Yeah. But we were having to submit a form for each upcoming event. And who gets that? You know, Mark, you're going to do that. Right. The catch-all department. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. We've also created our reopening plan. So the reopening plan has been submitted. And I think we've gotten some comments from the city. And then we just submitted that to the county. And actually, my GM is meeting with county officials again this morning to get more feedback. But once that's approved, then, as I understand it, we won't have to do the separate event consent forms for every event. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, that would be very, very nice. Because I'm having to get with the salespeople and then get the information from event services. And that's what I was having to do for these forms. And then it was decided that, okay, well, sales and event services will actually get together and do that. In the meantime, you know, Nina will do them until the end of the year. (laughs) But now we may not have to do them, and I hope that's the case. Whatever the path is that we get back to doing this, I'm glad that you are on that path with us. Yes. I appreciate your sharing all your stories and getting there. Before we go today, I want to wrap things up with a little segment we call the Fast Five. I'm going to ask you five questions and just looking for a quick answer here, all right? Okay. You ready? Here we go. Okay. Your first concert. Commodore's. Your favorite concert. God, Dave, that's so hard. Seen, we only seen a couple, right? Oh, so many. I will say one that I enjoyed that I had no idea that I would enjoy because I did not know who Garth Brooks was at the time. Then seeing his concert by the end of the concert, I was yelling. How about the nicest artist you've ever met? Jay-Z was pretty nice. We did the On the Run 2 tour. Okay. Beyonce never did come out, but Jay-Z was surprisingly nice and kind of personable. How about your favorite arena that you haven't worked at. So maybe some arena that you've been to that you're like, oh, this is cool. I like this place. Shoot, Dave, you should have said these questions are going to be awfully hard. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think. Oh. Schottenstein Center. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's where, yes, yes, that's it. That's exactly the answer. Thank you, Paul. I was going to say the Rupp Arena, but that's... uh... (laughs) I started to say Rupp Arena, but since Paul's not there anymore, I don't want to go there. There you go. All right, last question. Wait, this is a fun one. All right. Okay. So this one is, what is your theme song? So there is the Nina Jackson show, Cameras Follow You All Around. Yes. Documentary of your life. What is the one song that plays over the opening credits? What is the theme song to the Nina Jackson show? Mary J. Blige. Is it called... So fine. I like what I see when I'm looking at me when I'm in the mirror. Worry about me and uh, 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 uh. you're not gonna take my joy. That yes. song, you yes, know what I'm talking I know about? That. Yes, yes, yes. That is oh, that is my jam. <laughs> that is my jam. That comes on and I get a twist in my step, <laughs> a bounce in my step. Well, Nina, thanks for giving us all a little bounce today. Uh, anything you want to plug here before we let you go? Whether it's venue, social media, or personal stuff, if somebody wants to reach out to you. Well, from a social media standpoint, I'm not on it personally, but of course, people can always follow at NRG Park. 
I am on LinkedIn. So if anybody wants to follow up or reach out to me, they can contact me on LinkedIn or they can email me at njackson at nrgpark.com. This has been great. This has been so much fun, guys. It's been so great to catch up with you. Yeah. It has been so much fun to catch up. And you've got some great stories where, you know, somebody may want to reach out to you because you you got some great wisdom to share in these tough times. So really, thank you again for the time today. Thank you guys for thinking of me. I'm honored and humbled that you even thought of me. I can't wait to see you at a future EAMC conference when we all can be back together and, and doing this stuff in person. Same here. Same here. And thanks to everybody for listening to today's episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star review so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone.